Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain, JG Ministries. I'm glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast and you'll receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are studying the book of Luke. We have been unpacking chapter 7 and just about ready to finish chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the 7th chapter of Luke, and we'll begin with verse 36. Let's get into it. Now last time when we ended, Jesus reassured John the Baptist, and now we will see Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. So let's turn to our scripture, because before we can study it, we need to read it. So begin with verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but... This woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The criticism Jesus has received does not preclude Luke from setting down another example of Jesus' concern for sinners. The story contrasts a sinful woman, perhaps a prostitute, and a Pharisee. And in verse 36, in the incident which follows, we have an illustration of wisdom being justified by one of her children, namely the sinful woman. Simon, the Pharisee, he asked Jesus to his home to eat with him, perhaps through curiosity or perhaps through hostility, but Jesus accepted an invitation from this Pharisee who was named Simon, and Jesus cannot be accused of spurning the Pharisees socially by doing this. Now, in verses 37 and 38, a sinful woman appeared in the room at the same time. Now, we do not know for certain who she was. There is tradition. It could have been maybe Mary Magdalene, but this lacks scriptural support. But the woman took advantage of the social customs that 
permitted needy people to visit such a banquet to receive some of the leftovers. But she came specifically to see Jesus. This woman brought a white translucent flask of perfume. And as Jesus reclined on a couch while he ate with his head near the table, she stood at his feet. And since Jesus was reclining at the table, according to the custom of the time, she prepared to pour the perfume on his feet, which shows a humble act. She had a flow of tears that preceded the outpouring of the perfume, so she wiped his feet lovingly with her hair, and perhaps impulsively, she kissed them before using the perfume. She washed his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed him repeatedly. Then she anointed them with this costly perfume. Such worship and sacrifice revealed her conviction that there was nothing too good for Jesus. And Jesus allows her to proceed without shunning her. Now, I want to take a side note here. <clears throat> I want to talk about the eating customs in the ancient in the ancient Near East in biblical times, because this helps gives us a perspective of what is going on and why it was going on. The eating customs varied during the long period that was covered by the Bible. And there were only two main meals for the Jewish family. Breakfast was taken informally soon after getting up and normally consisted of maybe a piece of flatbread cake and a piece of cheese, some dried fruit or some olives. Sometimes the bread was wrapped around this appetizer food. And then sometimes the bread was split to make a opening where the morsels could be placed into. To eat bread for a meal in such a way was so natural and normal that eating bread, the term eating bread, came to have the same meaning as having a meal. It was quite usual for the men and the boys to leave the house for their work and eat their breakfast as they went. That's probably why they would wrap it up in their bread. <clears throat> now, when the evening meal came, the pot that the food was cooked in was placed on a rug on the floor as a whole family sat around it. Then there was a blessing or a thanksgiving that was made, and each member of the family used a piece of bread and would scoop up or take up some of the contents that was in the pot because there was no cutlery. So communal dipping into the pot made it essential that hands were washed before the meal. And later in history, a table and benches are sometimes replaced on the rug on the ground, but the communal pot was still at the center. And at the close of the meal, fruit would be eaten and wine would be drunk. Now, for formal meals, uh, they were always preceded by an invitation. The host then insisted that people come until the invitations were accepted. And when guests arrived, their feet were washed by the most humble of slaves that they had, and their sandals were removed. Now, this was to protect the carpeted floors from dirt as well, to make it more comfortable to sit on, uh, on one's heels. Uh, their heads were anointed with olive oil and was scented with spices. The oil was rubbed into the hair, and then drinking water was then provided. Now, in, in a large house, a special guest moved to the 
top table in a room that had a raised floor and they would sit on the right side of the host. The second guest would then sit on the host's left-handed side. Uh, one did not so much sit at the table as they actually reclined at the table. The couches were drawn up to the tables, the heads were towards the table, and then cushions were provided so that the guests could rest on their left arm or their left side and use the right hand to serve themselves from the table. Now, using this arrangement, it was possible for the servants to continue to wash the people's feet and to make conversion uh, to make conversation with the people, with each other. Um, now, persons would have had to have turned almost on their back and literally be on the bottom of the person to the left. But in the time of Jesus, the couch arranged around three sides of a table. And this was considered the height of fashion back at that time. Servants used the open side so that they had access to the tables to bring in or take away dishes of food. And the meal started with a drink of wine that was diluted with honey. The main dinner that followed was of three courses, and they would beautifully arrange these on the trays. And like I said, there was no color. There were no forks, so guests ate with their fingers, except with soup, eggs, or, or shellfish when they were served. Then, at those times, spoons were used. And finally, there was a dessert of pastry and or of fruit. And during the meal, the host would provide entertainment, uh, music, dancing, which was a, the dancing, which was an individual expression of dance. And then there may be readings from poetry, other readings from different types of literature. And such an occasion was a very important local event. And then, of course, people of humbler means were able to come to this to get the food that was left over and to look in from the outside. Um, when the meal was completed, there was a long period devoted to talking, to conversation. Stories were related during this time, and even some gossip was shared. And such festivities were always the envy of the poor people who tried to copy them in their own ways. But whether such meals were formal or informal, abundant or scant, there were always food laws that had to be observed. So that's the end of the side note. Just wanted to give you a quick insight of the custom of the time of how people ate their meals then. So now getting back to verse 39, we see Simon's attitude was quite different. He felt that prophets, like Pharisees, should be separated from sinners. If Jesus were truly a prophet, he concluded he would not let a sinner bestow such affection on him. Now, in this masterly narrative, Luke directs attention to the Pharisee, who in the mulling over of the matter reaches three conclusions. One, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was anointing his feet. The second thing is, if he knew what kind of a woman she was, he would not let her do it. And then thirdly, since he does let her anoint his feet, he's no prophet and should not be acknowledged as such. This is what's going on in the Pharisee's mind. So Jesus presents the parable of two debtors, and this leads us into verse 40 to 43, which I'm going to look at collectively. Jesus reads Simon's mind, and Jesus responds, 
However, by showing that he does have unique insight into the human heart, because he knows what the Pharisees think it. And when Jesus tells Simon that he has something to say to him, Simon replies perfunctorily. He says, tell me, teacher. Jesus then responds with a clear message in a very brief parable. With consummate skill, the Lord told the story of the creditor and the two debtors. One owed $50, another five. I broke that down for you because they say denarii. When neither of them could repay at all, the creditor cancels both debts. And at this point, Jesus asked Simon which borrower would love the lender more. And the Pharisee, of course, correct, correctly answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Simon is made to give the conclusion that will condemn him. His, I suppose, probably implies an uneasy reluctance. In admitting this, he condemns himself as Jesus proceeds, proceeds to show him. So in then verses 44 to 47, we have again the woman is the focal point of the narrative. From the time the Lord had entered the house, the woman had lavished, uh, shown lavish affection upon Jesus. The Pharisee, by contrast, had given him a very cool reception by social standards, not even attending to the usual courtesy, such as washing the guest's feet, kissing his cheek, and giving him oil for his head. That was the custom. Now, some may wonder why washing feet was important. Well, during biblical times, the people wore sandals. It was very dusty. It was dirty, the terrain to walk on. And so your feet would become dirty. It'd be the same thing today as like walking in the mud in your shoes, and then you take them off before you go walking around the house. So you don't dirty up the house. But why was this? Well, the reason was that the woman had the unconscious or had the had the conscious of having been forgiven, whereas Simon did not feel he had been a great sinner at all. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, surprisingly, Jesus first contrasts her acts of devotion with a lack of social attention on Simon's part as the host, by not anointing his head, by not kissing him. The main point is reached very swiftly. Jesus can declare that her sins, which he does not hesitate to say were many, showing Simon that he did have insight into this woman and to Simon and to everything. He's all-knowing. Um, but Jesus can declare that her sins have been forgiven. Not because of her act or love, but because of her faith. Jesus did not suggest that the Pharisee was not a great sinner. Rather, he emphasized that Simon had never truly acknowledged his vast guilt and been forgiven. If he had, he would have loved the Lord as deeply as this woman. We're all great sinners, and we can all know great forgiveness. And we can all love the Lord greatly. So in verse 48, Jesus publicly announced to the woman that her sins had been forgiven. She had not been forgiven because of her love to Christ, but her love was a result of her forgiveness. She loved much because she had been forgiven much. And Jesus took this occasion to announce publicly the forgiveness of her sins. The woman receives Jesus' pronouncement of salvation, and she receives a traditional blessing or a benediction, go in peace. 
But for her, it now has a deep, deeper meaning. So then in verses 49 and 50, which is going to end our chapter, this episode ends with Jesus pronouncing that the woman is forgiven. Then he becomes the object of another discussion because he presumes to absolve her from her sins. The other guests inwardly question Jesus' right to forgive sins. Keep in mind, the natural heart hates grace. But Jesus, again, assured the woman that her faith had saved her, had saved her and that she should go in peace. This is something that psychiatrists cannot do. They may try to explain away guilt complexes, but they can never give the joy and peace that Jesus gives. Our Lord's conduct in eating at the Pharisee's table is misused by some Christians in defense of the practice of keeping up intimacy with unconverted people, going to their amusements and indulging in their pleasures. And I want to leave with this final warning to heed. Those who use such an argument would do well to remember our Lord's behavior on this occasion. He carried his father's business with him to the Pharisee's table. He testified against the Pharisee's besetting sin. He explained to the Pharisee the nature of free forgiveness of sins and the secret of true love to himself. He declared the saving nature of faith. If Christians who argue in favor of intimacy with unconverted people will visit their houses in the spirit of our Lord and speak and behave as he did, let them by all means continue the practice. But do they speak and behave at the tables of their unconverted acquaintances as Jesus did at Simon's table? It's a question to think about. This question, they would do well to answer yes or no. And with that, we are finished with chapter 7. Next time we will start chapter 8. We will look at certain women who minister to Jesus, and then we'll take a look at the parable of the sower. So until next time, God bless you, and keep living Christian strong.